We have a special UGA Sports podcast alongside me, as always, the former Georgia head coach, Jim Donnan. And coach, uh, this is, I think, our third conversation uh, with, with one of the most influential figures in college football. He's right in the center of everything. Yeah, he is the man, and we're glad to have Reese back with us. Uh, for, fortunately, two times in one year, but when you win the natty, you got to get the guy back. Uh, that, that's particularly uh, all the things that you were associated with right there on the scene. And uh, the first question, I'm going to let Dane have it because it was, it was his idea, but I, I think it's kind of the cart before the horse as far as the whole deal. But go ahead, Dane, and ask him, and uh, then get your ass out of here. I'm going to take over. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> There's the old coach. Uh, well, I think the main thing, Reese, is that that moment you on stage. I know you've done a ton of trophy presentations and you've had the confetti fall down on you. So, in that moment, what is so special to a lot of Georgia fans, you may have experienced before. Uh, but you picked up on Kirby Smart kind of giving the echo to Larry Munson. Kind of take me to that stage. What was it like? What were the stories that you heard? What was that scene like for Georgia? Well, there were a few of them, and I told Kirby this on Tuesday morning while we were on the on the bottom of the stage because everyone knows that I'm uh, you know I'm a big fan of Larry Munson's. Um, always enjoyed his work, and but the day and age in which we live in, people take things so seriously, and sometimes there's not an appreciation of history. Uh, I told Kirby, and this is the absolute truth. I thought, should I open or should I close with there's going to be a lot of property damage in Indianapolis tonight? And I was thinking and I was like, should I? Shouldn't I? I don't know. I didn't say it. It was sort of still I thought I'll just feel it in the moment. And if I feel like doing it, I will. And then Kirby did it. And I thought it, I thought it was hilarious and, and awesome. And I wanted I did want to you know, point out for many because we had some of our producers who said to me afterward, that, uh, you know, you might be the only guy who would have known what he was talking about and people might have, you know, whatever, thought that he meant something literal as opposed to, you know, Larry being over exuberant. But uh, it was, you know, it was certainly a great moment for Georgia people. Been a long time coming. I think it was sort of a cathartic feeling up there. And in fact, uh, before Kirby went up to, uh, to the front, uh, I shook his hand and he just said, finally. You know, and I was like, I mean, finally, oh, what do you, what's he been there five years? I mean, what, what finally, you know, what are you talking about? But I do think that you really ought to revel in the moment and enjoy it. And that, you know, that doesn't mean put aside what it takes to try to get back there. But I, what I'm talking about is um, not taking it for granted because I, I did think back, you know, and people are now expecting Georgia to become sort of dynastic uh, like Alabama has been and to a lesser degree uh, the way Clemson has been. Um, but you, you can't assume that's going to happen. Now, I wasn't doing the trophy presentation, but I was at the game. And I remember the night that Oklahoma won the national championship after the 2000 season in Bob Stoops' second year. And we just assumed that that was the first of four, five, six, seven. And instead... Now it's Oklahoma on a two-decade drought, you know, looking for a national championship. So um, I don't think that will happen to Georgia. I'm not suggesting it's going to be 2062, you know, another 41 years before they win another one. But I do think that it should be appreciated because there are no guarantees. As good as Stoops was for all of those years, they just never won another one. And, you know, it's, uh, it's something that should be cherished and appreciated, but I believe – that uh, Georgia fans will have the opportunity. Uh, my best guess will be they will, will have an opportunity to do so again in the not too distant future. 
Yeah, you know, when we used to hang out in the uh, green room up there and talk and shoot the breeze, one of the best things you ever did for me was imitate Munson. So I just want you to just ad lib for just a second oh, and pretend you're, you're showing that Keely Ringo intercepts that pass and takes it in. And just a real short little Larry Force, buddy. I, mean, I think I, I don't know, and I almost feel bad doing it because I don't feel like I will do it justice in the in the moment. But he probably would have said something like, uh, you know, and now they're going to throw it down. Oh, he, he's got it. He's got it. Oh, my, oh my God. Oh, my God. Keely Ringo. Keely Ringo. And probably just would have said that, and then that would have been it. And uh, that I think that's about how he would have done it. <laughs> yeah, you can do it better than anybody but Larry. But I don't know about that. One of the things that uh, we want to get into right away is just the fact that uh, in today's world, this transfer, uh, people are going nuts about the people you lose and not so much about the people you stay and the teams that you have. But you and I have talked about it uh, when you, you know, you had two games here this year for, uh, for the, uh, it was unbelievable having you here twice, got you caught in traffic, almost didn't get you back to work one night. But <laughs> the, the point is, give me your take on Stetson Bennett today and what you see with him going forward. Um, Jim, you know, I've thought, for the entire season. And, you know, I think sometimes in our business, you stake yourself to a position and you, and you stop yourself sometimes and you think, wow, I need to be careful how I say this because it could come across as being disparaging to someone else. And I don't mean this to be disparaging to JT Daniels, who's a talented guy for sure. I've thought Stetson Bennett was their best quarterback since last year. I just do. Um, you know, Beauty can be in the eye of the beholder, uh, quarterback evaluation in the eye of the beholder. I think he's their best guy. And I thought he was last year, even though JT had great success when he played. When they trust him and let him play, you know, he's not the perfect quarterback. Not many are. But he, when they trust him and let him play, he makes plays. He's got, you know, he's got a little edge to him. He's, he's got attitude. People talk about his ability to move and run. And I think when they do that, they act like that's the only reason he's out there. I think, I mean, you're the quarterback guru, so I will, you know, I will defer to your judgment. I think he throws it really well. He doesn't, he's not John Elway or Andrew Luck, but he throws it really well. And, you know, I just think he's the, he's their best guy. And now he entrenched himself as the leader. And I think that gives, gives him an advantage coming back, you know, but, uh, you know, I would have to assume that they've assured him. I mean, look, everybody has to produce every day. If you don't play well, you're going to get replaced. If you don't broadcast well, you're going to get replaced. If you don't coach well, they're going to fire you. Um, but I have to think that they've assured him that they at least won't be constantly trying to replace him. You know, <laughs> there'll be competition, but they won't be, I don't want to use the word undercutting, but it's almost undercutting. I mean, that he's been assured of that, and that's why he's coming back. And, and I think that's a, a great thing for him, and it's a great opportunity for him to take a step forward and embrace a new challenge, which is now, instead of playing where everybody doesn't believe in you, now he will have to play with expectations. This guy was the MVP of the Orange Bowl against Michigan in the national championship game against Alabama with that comes expectations and with that comes some internal pressure to perform to that level again and that'll be a new challenge for him but it's one that i think he's talented enough to uh to take on 
Yeah, and I really uh, admire him for coming back. And, and, you know, he could just ride off in the sunset. But just like we've talked about your uh, – who knows if he'll ever play again. But he wants to play that year, Christopher at uh, Duke now. So, I mean, you just can't um, – as a father, as a coach, you just can't point out to people quite enough about how important that last year is. So uh, going forward here uh, about one other thing, uh, you, you have a tendency uh, – I wouldn't say tendency, but you have the luxury of access to the other team. Going into this game, what do you think Alabama's mindset was playing the dog? Um, I think their mindset going – I think they were very confident. I think that – you know, the players certainly believe they could win. I think the coaches believe they could win. But I also believe that based on the first meeting that they knew that they had some areas of concern um, in terms of matchups. And I think that was evidenced uh, their offensive line was a was a potential problem, you know, against Georgia in the first game. They were effective at playing the game in the secondary and this game, I think uh, they could have been effective in doing so again, but um, they didn't get the same type of protection to start with, and they certainly didn't get the same level of wide receiver play. Some of that uh, is credit to Georgia, and some of that is you know, an area that Alabama needed to improve, particularly after Jameson Williams went down. So I think their mindset was one of confidence, but certainly one that they knew that they had some challenges in some certain areas and they had to play uh, to a very high level. And, and honestly, uh, honestly, they did like even on, uh, you know, at their cornerbacks, the two corners that Bama played while, while not the starters probably are more physically gifted than the guys who are playing, but Kool-Aid McKinstry, who's going to be a star and Kyrie Jackson, who certainly looks the part, you know, just a little, a little raw, a little inexperienced. And, but I, even on one of the touchdown passes, Jackson had terrific coverage. Uh, I think it was AD Mitchell just made a play, you know, and it's uh, it's tough to, you know, it's tough to stop a, a great pass and a, and an athletic receiver. They have the advantage, you know, most of the time over the defensive back and they, they made plays. So I think, in that regard, that that perceived area of concern turned out, even though Georgia made some plays, turned out not to be as big. But the offensive line play and the wide receiver play after Williams went down certainly uh, certainly was an area that Georgia was able to take advantage of. Okay, Dane. Reese, so the last time you were on with us, you said that when Georgia did beat Alabama, you thought it may be kind of a shellacking, that the floodgates would open uh, mm -hmm. and, and that it would just be that that jubilant celebration. I don't think the nas national championship was necessarily that, though the fourth quarter may have felt that way for a lot of people uh, mm -hmm. because of Georgia's comeback. So now that Georgia has beaten Alabama, and you just said you don't think fans will have to wait as long next time for the next national championship. Where does this leave Georgia uh, in in kind of the ecosphere of, of college football? Well, they're champions. I mean, and that's, you know, it was sort of like, uh, sort of like the biblical story of the rich young ruler, right? That yet mm -hmm. one thing you lack. And now Georgia doesn't lack that anymore. So uh, there, there will be no more talk of can't win the big one. Um, they have won the big one. They are a champion. Now, uh, there's not any indication of this, but now just make sure you're not, you know, you're not LSU. 
you know, you didn't catch lightning. You're not 2010 Auburn, you know, that you caught lightning in a bottle, had a transcendent player. You know, I think Georgia obviously is constructed much different than, uh, you know, LSU with Joe Burrow or Auburn with Cam, you know, was they, they had transcendent, brilliant players that they built the whole thing around. Uh, that, that means two players, you know, a, a quarterback each place. And they had a, don't, don't misunderstand. LSU had some tremendous weapons otherwise. Auburn had Cam, you know, <laughs> had Cam and Nick Fairley, and they won the national championship, which pretty much shows how great he was. Um, but Georgia is built and constructed more for the long haul to be in there uh, regularly in whatever form the playoff might take in the future. I think uh, for the foreseeable future, they're going to be one of the preseason uh, title favorites. And, you know, I think I don't see anything changing about that um, coming up in, in the next few years. So in your role uh, covering games, going behind the scenes, talking to coordinators, talking to head coaches, uh, you found Kirby since he was a coordinator at, at uh, Alabama and won four national championships. Now this one, tell us a little bit about what you, his involvement as a, as a, a coach, uh, as an, as a CFO a guy that's in charge, a, a recruiter. Uh, what's your take on seeing his development? Uh, his demeanor, Jim, is much more relaxed. And that doesn't mean his intensity has gone. It's just there was a certain early on, um, I don't want to say discomfort, but let's just say there was a certain edge that he, it was almost like he wanted to prove something, like he wanted to prove he belonged there. And as he's been there longer, um, I've, I've noticed, uh, you know, more willingness, like, um, for instance, we're very grateful when he does it. There are certain coaches who will not come to the game day set. You know, uh, it's, it's game day. It's, it's nine hours before kickoff. I'm going to change my routine, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, Kirby, Kirby comes. And when we when he shows up, you can you can joke with him. We talk football, but, you know, you can have you can have a, a normal conversation with him. Um, and I'm not saying that wasn't the case before. I just think he's extraordinarily comfortable with that now. And uh, he's confident in, in what he's done up to that point. He and his coaching staff have done up to that point to have his team ready to go. And he, and he also understands that um, college coaching is largely uh, a talent procurement business. And coming on college game day and being engaging and letting people behind the curtain a little bit is extraordinarily beneficial to him and to his program. And he's done that very, very well. I think he's always tried to do it. But the difference I've seen over the last, really this year particularly, but I'd even say over the last couple of years, he, he's become much more comfortable in that role. Um, and, you know, that just comes with experience. That's normal. You know, it's not, you know, that's not any, you know, great uh, metamorphosis for Kirby particularly. He's just, he knows, he knows who he is knows how he wants to run his program. He's put his stamp on it in the ways that he's wanted to. He's borrowed things uh, from Nick. He's borrowed things from, uh, you know, other mentors that he's that he's worked with. And he's had his own ideas from sitting in that chair for a few years. And he's really comfortable uh, in a good way. I don't mean in a I don't mean in a, um, um, you know, content way or a complacent way. I just mean in a good way that he he feels good about how they run their program, what they're going to do. And he's, I think he's really, um, really 
I don't want to say grown into the job because he did a good job as soon as he walked in the door. But I think he's taken it to another level, and and that was that was evidenced by the fact that they were able to answer a disastrous moment uh, with the turnover deep in their own end that led to Alabama scoring and taking the lead. And rather than coming apart, you know, as frankly as they did in the SEC championship game, as they did in the SEC championship game, uh, the I guess it was eighteen uh, with the fake punt year, instead of getting tense and panicking, they responded. And I think that sometimes players respond like that when they know their their head coach still thinks they're in good shape. Yeah, hey, you make some really good points, and I see that daily. I mean, you're always a little guarded around the press. There's no question about that, and you can't be open. But at the same time, you got a lot to show, and his, uh, his confident manner – certainly is there when he's on game day. And I think it's good that he's able to be a little bit more relaxed about that. But, you know, as, as you mentioned, I mean, what can the coach do two or three hours before the game? I mean, it's same thing at halftime. I got to get in there. What are you going to do? You only have to talk for 30 more seconds to the, to the people <laughs> there. So uh, you're just going to go to the bathroom and listen to the other coaches. I mean, that's about it as the head coach. But I'm going to go on to here to uh, talking about uh, just uh, – what you've seen with Georgia as far as the facility enhancement, the commitment to football, uh, just the last six years, uh, just incredible what Kirby's been able, along with the, the administration for sure, but just going around schools around the country, and you and I talked about this several years ago, people were all fired up about Sanford Stadium, but they didn't realize all the things that Georgia lacked, but you got to be impressed with what he's been able to do with facilities and, and the way we put this stuff together here. It's, I mean, it's just part of the deal. Now, if you're going to compete at the highest level, you have to have those amenities and they're not just to show off for recruits. It's really functional because if you're pouring this much money into an enterprise and if players are valuable and they are and name image and likeness and the full cost of attendance and, you know, the stipends that in some cases people are getting for academic prowess, they're, they're, they have value and you want to treat them as such and give them the best opportunity to develop their skills, uh, the best support system and the best environment uh, to pursue their academic goals, whatever those might be. And, you know, I think Georgia has done all of those things. You want to make sure that you're training them in, in a cutting edge way that you have the best people doing that, that you have the, the best equipment to help them train or recover from injury or, um, or just bond as a team. And all of those things that uh, Georgia has put together and ha their facilities are on par now with, with all of the new things that they've built with, you know, Clemson and Alabama and Texas A&M and a few play Oregon you know, places I, I've seen that have uh, have really outstanding facilities, and that's not a comprehensive list. I just gave you it's just an example of, of a few schools that have really, uh, really outstanding facilities. Reese, you're a professional broadcaster, and you've already dropped Kool-Aid McKinstry one time in here, so I'm left to assume that you love the college football names. Are you as excited as I am about another season of Stetson Bennett to Ladd McConkey? <laughs> I only wish that for one game, some one Georgia game, that uh, the great Brent Musburger would come back and call a game because I just can't imagine 
uh, Lad McCunkey again. Oh, let me tell Laddie, you know, because Brent Brent loved to call everybody Laddie. Anyways, it'd be awesome to have Brent calling a game with Lad McConkey. Maybe if I get a Georgia game this year and Lad scores, maybe I'll break out a little Brent for the people, a little homage. Yeah, hey, the mailman to to Lad, that would be good. Uh, I remember when Jim Nance was just a Cub guy that would come out, you know, a Cub reporter, and he would come out and do the advance for for uh, Musburger at Oklahoma, and he'd say, look, don't start talking plays with him. He'll talk for hours. Just show him a little bit because he wants to show you he knows more about the wishbone than you do. So <laughs> was Jim Nance telling me that. But well, did, but, uh, did Jim, when Jim walked into you, did he say, hello, friend? Immediately or not? I wasn't a friend then, but he did say <laughs> the best call for us is we had a walk-on kicker that I had to kick a kid off the team uh, right for, for the championship, and we had a walk-on kicker kick a field goal to win the national championship. Said, give that guy a varsity letter and give him a national championship ring right when he kicked the kick. So it was pretty slick from Jim, and I've he and. Uh, I've always kept up with him over the years, see him at the Masters all the time. But but enough of that from my standpoint. But let, let's just go on to uh, college football in general now. When you're covering all the different facets of it, I know you're back into basketball. I saw you doing a, the North Carolina game Tuesday night. Holy cow. And unfortunately, Holy that cow. was a wipeout. But yeah. seriously, about football, uh, we've had this year – of name and image and likeness. We're heavy in the transfer portal, roster management, all that on a national scale. Where do you see this going? It just seems like unbelievable free agency right now. It, it is. Now, now, Jim, you and I are close. We're really good friends. Don't get me started on some coach complaining about roster management. I'm not hearing it. I don't want to hear it. That's your job. You get paid. And you and I both know that there are many a times if they call the Reese Davises or the Dane Youngs into the world and they go, man, look, you can stay, I guess. We'll keep paying your scholarship. You're never playing. But, you know, and so they're managing their rosters when they do that. So I don't want to hear that. You know, I don't want to hear any, I don't hear any whining about roster management. Um, But there are some challenges for sure. Uh, The transfer portal, I think is a, you know, is a fair thing, is a good thing. Um, if, if we aren't going to acknowledge that players are employees and, and I don't really want to do that because I don't think the schools are equipped to do it, but uh, I'm sort of working right now on evolving my perspective on that simply because of the transfer portal, because some of the things that that happen um it almost like look we're involved in a in a de facto contractual relationship to some degree um with the you know when, once you recruit a player once once he plays now there i, I want philosophically and I'm, I'm meandering let me stop and say this clearly philosophically i believe if players are not employees then they should be able to choose where they go to school they should be able to choose where they play, and they should be able to do so without penalty. In reality, that has become uh, unstable, I think, sometimes for the players. Maybe the best thing would be to have a transfer window, a period of time in which players could transfer. Maybe that comes after they complete one calendar year uh, where they are. Um Maybe if 
you know, if uh, name, image, and likeness goes through, and and even though I know you're not supposed to use it as an inducement for recruiting, but I mean that's impossible to avoid. It's happening, and so maybe then it becomes a longer commitment. Maybe it's a, a thing that is negotiated, or maybe there's some some way where players are represented by an organization uh, similar to a union, and some of this is collectively bargained, and you have some type of um, I don't know, some type of, I don't know if guardrails are the right word because I don't know if it needs guardrails, but you have some type of parameter that protects both sides because I think sometimes players leave because they think it's in their best interest and sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. And maybe if they, you know, waited around a little bit or if they had to fulfill a contract like you would have to do in the real world, like you would have to do in, in sports that we acknowledge, our professional sports because th- this is these are prof- this is professional sport it is because you can't have 26 million people watching it making millions of dollars on it paying the coach seven eight nine million dollars a year uh players in some cases being into seven figures in name image and likeness and pretend that it's that you right, pulled right. guys out of the sigma chi house and they came out and put on a helmet with a g on the side and played for good old georgia it's not the way it is you know so maybe we have to be I think name, image, and likeness has made it a little bit more of an honest enterprise in some ways. Maybe we have to even take it a step further in there. There's some type of uh, contractual arrangement that's not one-sided. I mean, I hear people saying, do this to keep these kids from leaving. No, it needs to be a collaborative effort that is collectively bargained and worked for both sides. It allows some freedom of movement if a guy makes a bad choice or the coach decides he doesn't like him anymore or whatever it is while also uh, maintaining the lessons that we all learn when we have to fulfill an obligation. Good, good point there. I mean, a lot of good points and uh, we could go on and on. Dane and I talk about it when we do the weekly podcast, but it's too easy to leave sometime. And, and sometimes the handwriting's on the wall, like a guy's in his fifth year and he hasn't played a lot. Hey, go ahead and try somewhere else. But you know, at the same time, a lot of guys make it their third and fourth year, but, I wanted to ask you uh, about the playoffs. Could you tell me what your your what your role uh, being the where you are, what you're hearing, and how you feel about what? Not necessarily go through twelve and eight, but mm-hmm. trending. What do you think is going to happen there? Because the SEC is holding all the cards, and all these other schools are using these different types of of issues but uh, realistically where do you think we're going with this playoff well uh, it slowed down a lot because they didn't make any progress in the meetings in indianapolis as you know uh, i think eventually it will expand um, i don't know that i totally agree with the notion that my friend jim phillips the acc commissioner put forward that now is not the time however i do agree with him wholeheartedly that it's not the only issue and it might not even be the most pressing one in college football right now. You've touched on a couple of them earlier. So I thought Jim brought up some good points. I don't know that that is necessarily a reason to derail the playoff talk. And the thing, if the conferences who are holding out for one reason or another, think they're hurting the sec, that's, that's silly. Sec just had two teams play for the national championship. It could happen again uh, often. You know, you've <laughs> I mean, it's this is where the center of power is located at the moment. And I don't know that holding off on expansion is necessarily going to um, change that or put the other conferences in a more advantageous position. 
The one thing, Jim, that I have heard that I don't like and I think will be a massive mistake is that, from my understanding, expansion would push the season later into January, meaning probably quarterfinals, New Year's Day is, is what some have said. You know, this is all speculation and suggestion. Nothing is set in stone. They're going the wrong way. One of the weaknesses of the college football postseason, and it has been forever, as long as, since the time college football started deciding to change bowls from exhibition games into actually using them to determine champions, the biggest weakness is the layoff, is the exactly. gap in between. Exactly. So you're going the wrong way if you're pushing it into January. You need to, you need to push it back. Uh, play some of those games in the middle of December and then have your you know have some big, huge feeling games on New Year's Day, semifinals on New Year's Day. Rose Bowl either is a semifinal every year because they pony up, they move, or games are sandwiched on either side of the Rose Bowl. Either way, uh, the Rose Bowl is going to have to adjust, period. Yeah. Or pony up and be a semifinal every year or a quarterfinal, whatever they decide. It should be semifinal. Um, but those things have to change. Play the games on New Year's Day. It was silly to play the biggest games on New Year's Eve and then play other games on New Year's Day. That For the casual fan, if you're trying to bring even more people under the tent, you don't have to worry about that at Georgia or Alabama right. or Ohio State. Right. But other places you want to create some interest, don't don't mix meaningless games in the middle of uh, – uh, or not meaningless, but exhibition games in the middle of the biggest games and then play the biggest ones and have some others that are less important afterwards. That doesn't make any sense. So yeah, I can really relate move it to, to middle that. December and then, and then play the championship game about where it is now. Yeah, I can really relate to that maybe more so than some coaches because I coached in both ways, you know, championship games at Oklahoma and then at Marshall. But – the thing that we were able to do with less scholarships and more games is as the season wore on, cut back practices, uh, go out lighter, but know that we were going to have to play four games in a row, you know, that to win the championship, but we were going to finish at the end of the year. And you just, instead of taking off two weeks, you just played every week. And it, it certainly is, you know, a lot of games, but at the same time, it's definitely something you can do. I mean, it's not like mission impossible. We did it with 65 scholarship guys, not 85. So I think the game thing is – and so many good teams, the guys – I mean, we only threw 12 passes in the fourth quarter going into the last game of the year. You know what I mean? We, I mean, our guys weren't playing a lot of snaps, so mm -hmm. uh, the dominant teams. But I'm going to give you one more question, Dane, and then we're going to finish up because my man here has got to go out on the beach and get a good run here. <laughs> Well, I can't let you out without being a media nerd. So we see all the, the changes in college football, and most of those, I think, have a negative persona where the transaction is almost more valuable than the action in some cases. We saw that in the NBA recently. What do you think is coming in the media side of it for how people watch the work that you do? Because the whole industry has, has shaken during your career. You mean in, in terms of like just viewership overall and people watching sports or – Pretty much how people are going to consume the product that you're making uh, because well, it's shifted it's, uh, radically. Yeah, very much so. I mean, the this generation, Kirk, Kirk Street and I talk about this often. Uh, we have boys of similar ages who are sports fans, but they consume sports differently than we did. It doesn't make them lesser fans or lesser involved, but they consume it on a wider basis in snippets 
and they search out what they're interested in at the moment. Um, less inclined, at least on a nightly basis, to sit down and watch games in their entirety. And, uh, you know, studio shows across the board are, are um, not, you know, they, they've taken a hit. We don't look at game day as a studio show. Game day is an event. And so it's a little bit, little bit different in that regard. But people consume it differently now. And I also think that while you wouldn't be able to tell it in Athens, Georgia right now, but most places, I don't know that it, it, it carries the deep attachment. There's still attachment. People still care. They're great fans. But there are so many other avenues and so many other things to divert the attention and so many opportunities to see their team. I think that's part of it, too. There was a bit of a mystery when I was growing up about teams because you only saw them, you know, two, three times a year in the, you know, max, even if it was your favorite team. And now you see every game, you see every game. You can watch condensed version of every game on YouTube. You can watch highlights on Twitter. You can see every little thing about them. So, so while it's still fun and still intriguing, they're still great, great fans that aura or that mysterious nature and the treat of a team showing up on TV or you being able to get a ticket and go to the game, some of that's gone, you know? And so because of that media entities have to adjust, that's why I think you see more teams, both at the professional and the uh, collegiate level, having their own teams who do a great job of getting out some behind the curtain content to show what it's like there. So I think more and more, you're going to see more and more of that, with the emphasis being on on access as opposed to just, hey, there's a big game Saturday. Okay, Reese, we're going to close it up today, uh, kind of like we had to do when you and I were doing some studio work and ESPNU didn't have people on at halftime. And uh, they, they sent it to us and said, tell us about that Army Southwest Louisiana game. And it only gave us a minute. And the guy told me they were intercepting a couple of passes and Army was doing that. And you brought it in. We acted like we knew what we were doing. It was fun. But I want you to just pretend that you got game day coming into Athens next year. Now, we're not going to play Oregon in Athens, but pretend they're playing in our Oregon. And you got that opening deal about the defending national champions coming on the first day of game day. Oh, man. Uh, you know, I don't know. I would probably capture that the long wait has been over. And now I'll pro I would probably steal from Kirby a little bit. Something that Kirby said uh, in the interview the morning after saying that he is fully aware of how windy it gets on the mountaintop, you know, and trying to withstand the strong winds of people trying to knock you off the top. So it would probably be something, uh, something like that. And one of the guys who helped him get there is now uh, trying to turn on the wind machine and blow him right off the top and Dan Lanning. So uh, that's uh, good. Bo Nick's coming back and all of that stuff, you know, it's be good. Hey, always say the wind blows a little bit harder, the, hard, the, clo the closer you get to the top, but Hey, just a real, uh, thank you to you for being so available to us and working with us. I know uh, you got plenty of things to do, but our fans relish this opportunity to uh, have a little insight because they get tired of hearing me and uh, Dane talk. I mean, may, mainly mostly Dane talk. They love for me. <laughs> but, uh, but it, no, they don't. They, they're tired of the old coach too, but really we appreciate it. And, uh, 
just your friendship means so much to me, uh, particularly as I told you uh, during this last six months, as I've, it's been a little more difficult for me. But, uh, well, we've had a lot of fun uh, covering the dogs this year, and uh, being with you has been a lot to our site too. So thank you so much. Well, I appreciate it, Jim. Uh, you're, you're a great friend, and I appreciate it. And, Dane, don't let him get you down. All this means is that he's treating you like one of his quarterbacks. So see right there, you you and any of those great Oklahoma quarterbacks that he had, the great guys he had at Georgia, he's just treating you like that. He's harder on you because he believes in you. That's what it is. I'm just taking reps. That's all it is, right? <laughs> I got to point out one thing about quarterbacks here, and we'll get – I got to pick – you know, uh, Venable's got that job, and they did a really big deal there at Oklahoma, ask all the old players to come and welcome him and everything. I got a picture sent to me from three guys that were backup quarterbacks that were all there together. And they, they sent the picture and said, coach, this is a picture of Steve and, and, and uh, Tink and, and uh, one other guy and said, all of us couldn't play for uh, OU, but we certainly want you to know that we're behind Brent Venables. I thought it's pretty slick. Yeah, that is, that's good. That's really, good. I think Brent will do. I'm glad to see Brent get an opportunity there. It's uh, yeah. it's been a long time coming. Yeah, I hope so. So thanks a lot, and uh, we'll see you hopefully get at least one time again next year. We won't double dream you, but uh, when we win a national championship, you got to come on twice, so, man. That's right, man. That's the way it goes. To the victory, right. the spoils, right? All okay. right. We'll see you again.